Welcome to Apologetics with Brian O'Connell, where in each episode I answer difficult questions that confront Christianity. In our last episode, we looked at different Mormon beliefs. We learned that the Mormon Church holds to doctrines that completely contradict the Bible. We looked at the following beliefs. Their belief that God was once a man, who later became God. Their belief that humans can become God, and that therefore there are literally millions of gods. Their belief that man must earn his or her own salvation through works. And lastly, we saw that the Mormon Church claims to be the only church that God is pleased with. By looking at what the Scripture teaches, we saw that these beliefs are completely erroneous and blatantly unbiblical. In this episode, I want to look at how the Mormon Church started. According to Mormon resources that are passed out by Mormon missionaries and also available on the LDS website, the Mormon Church was established by Joseph Smith in 1830. Joseph Smith was born December 23, 1805, to Joseph Smith Sr. and to Lucy Smith. What do we know about Joseph Smith's family? Dr. Walter Martin, in his book The Kingdom of the Colts, points out that Joseph Smith Sr. was a mystic, a man who spent most of his time digging for imaginary buried treasure. Apparently, it wasn't just Joseph Smith Sr. that was involved in these treasure quests. Historian Michael Quinn, who used to teach history at Brigham Young University, pointed out that Lucy Smith was also involved in these different treasure quests. It appears that Joseph Smith Sr. wasn't successful at locating buried treasure. Now, I say this because I feel like had he been successful, he wouldn't have tried to make his own counterfeit money. According to Dr. Walter Martin, Joseph Smith Sr. attempted to make counterfeit money more than once. In fact, Dr. Martin references the November 1870 edition of the Historical Magazine. In this article, the magazine interviewed the Honorable Judge Daniel Woodward of the County Court of Windsor, Vermont. Judge Woodward was a former neighbor of the Smith family, and his statement in the Historical Magazine verified Joseph Smith Sr.'s involvement in counterfeiting money. For example, in talking about Joseph Smith Sr., Judge Woodward said the following, He became implicated with one Jack Downing in counterfeiting money, but turned state's evidence and escaped the penalty. Besides the details that I just mentioned about Joseph Smith Sr., something else that's important to understand regarding Joseph Smith Jr.'s upbringing is that Joseph Smith Sr. rejected organized religion. Another interesting fact, which most people are unaware of, is that Joseph Smith Sr., like his son, had also received visions in which he claimed that angels had visited him. In fact, in his book, The Mormon Hierarchy, Origins of Power, Michael Quinn, who as I mentioned earlier used to be a professor of history at Brigham Young University, he wrote the following, that in 1818, Joseph Smith Sr. had a vision in which angels showed him a building that was closed to him. This wasn't an isolated event for Joseph Smith Sr., 
In fact, Dr. Quinn points out that in 1819, the elder Smith dreamed of a spirit guide who promised him salvation after the completion of one more event. These visions that Joseph Smith Sr. claimed to have had occurred before Joseph Smith Jr. had his first revelation, in which he claimed to have been visited by God the Father in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to get into this a little bit later. However, this first vision that Joseph Smith Sr. had happened when Joseph Smith Jr. was 12 years old. And the second vision, in which Joseph Smith Sr. was told that he would be saved after the completion of one more event, happened when Joseph Smith Jr. was 13, which was just one year before Joseph Smith Jr., according to the LDS Church, received his first vision. Dr. Quinn's book doesn't explain what that one more event is that Joseph Smith Sr. must do. However, Dr. Quinn does point out that sometime after 1819, religious revivals again convulsed the area that surrounded the Smith Farm, which was now located at Manchester on the outskirts of Palmyra. So far, I've talked about how Joseph Smith Jr.'s parents were both involved in searching for buried treasure which their son also got involved in, which I will come back to. I've also talked about how his dad rejected all religions, and like his son, Joseph Smith Jr., also had dreams in which heavenly beings spoke to him. The next thing I want to address in this episode is the claims that the Smith family was involved in occult practices. Is there any truth to these claims, Or are these simply attacks on the Mormon church? Well, according to several Brigham Young University professors, these claims are actually true. In fact, they point out that the Smith family was heavily involved in witchcraft and other occult practices. Dr. Michael Quinn, who as I mentioned earlier, used to be a professor of history at Brigham Young University. Listen to what he points out regarding the Smith family and their beliefs. In his book, Early Mormonism and the Magic Worldview, Dr. Quinn reveals that by the early 1820s, the Smith family had already participated in a wide range of magic practices. Not only that, but according to Dr. Quinn, this wasn't something that was new to the Smith's relatives. He points out that several generations of the Smith family were influenced by the magic worldview before the 1800s. In fact, the late Ronald Warren Walker was also a professor at Brigham Young University, as well as had been the president of the Mormon History Association. In one of his publications, titled Joseph Smith, the Palmyra Seer, he also admits to these practices within the Smith family. Listen to what he writes. It may be admitted that some of the prophet's ancestors believed in fortune-telling, in warlocks, and witches. This information comes from BYU's scholarly archives and is available online. This particular quote is from BYU's Studies Quarterly, Volume 24, Issue 4, Article 5, which was published October 1st, 1984. 
Now, from these quotes, you may argue, Brian, these quotes point to Joseph Smith's ancestors being involved in these kinds of practices, but it doesn't say that his family was specifically involved in witchcraft. And you're right. And I'm sure that if we were to look through each of our family trees, there are some practices that different family members were a part of that we would never want to be associated with, nor should those practices be attached to us. However, historical records show that Joseph Smith's family was also involved in these practices. According to Dr. Quinn, the family's neighbors in Palmyra and the adjacent Manchester reported that the family retained witchcraft beliefs in the 1820s. To further support these claims, Dr. Quinn quoted the late Richard Lloyd Anderson, who had been a professor of religion at Brigham Young University. Anderson had a statement from a neighbor of the Smith family from when they lived in Palmyra, New York. The neighbor's name was Orlando Saunders, And according to Dr. Anderson, Orlando Saunders, of any of the Smiths' neighbors, was the most favorable to the Smiths' reputation. What's interesting is that even though Saunders had a favorable view of the Smith family, his statement still confirmed that the Smith family was involved in these demonic practices. Michael Quinn, quoting from Dr. Richard Anderson, referenced an interview with Orlando Saunders. Listen to what is said about the Smith family. More specifically, listen to what is said about Joseph Smith Sr. and Joseph Smith Jr. In this quote, it said, In one interview, Orlando Saunders also said that Joseph Smith Sr. and Joseph Smith Jr. believed in witchcraft. Now again, I want to remind you that Orlando Saunders, according to these LDS historians, was a neighbor who had a positive view of the Smith family. And yet, he's still confirming that they believed in witchcraft. Historical records show that many people within the LDS church and outside the LDS church confirm that the Smith family was heavily involved and influenced by witchcraft in other demonic practices. The last witness to these demonic practices that I want to mention is Fayette Latham. Listen to what Michael Quinn wrote in his book, Early Mormonism in the Magic Worldview. He wrote that Fayette Latham traveled to Manchester in 1830 to learn about Mormon claims directly from the Smiths. He spoke at length with the prophet's father and later wrote, This Joseph Smith Sr., we soon learned, from his own lips, was a firm believer in witchcraft and other supernatural things, and brought up his family in the same belief. This account can also be found in the Volume 17 edition of the Historical Magazine, which was published in 1870. It wasn't just Joseph Smith Sr., and his son that were involved in these practices. Lucy Smith was also highly involved in divination, palm reading, fortune-telling, and other occult practices. In fact, in his book Early Mormonism and the Magic Worldview, Dr. Michael Quinn points out that Lucy Smith turned many a penny 
by tracing in lines of the open palm the fortunes of the inquirer. Not only that, but Dr. Quinn referenced witnesses who reported Lucy Smith also practicing other forms of divination, which he explained was her using dreams to locate treasure-digging sites. As I keep pointing out, Dr. Michael Quinn was a history professor at Brigham Young University. In addition to Michael Quinn, each of these men that I've referenced regarding the demonic practices of the Smith family were professors of history or religious studies at Brigham Young University. Why do I keep mentioning that these men were professors at BYU? If you're unfamiliar with Mormonism, you may not understand the significance. The significance of these men being professors of history or religious studies at BYU is that Brigham Young University is a Mormon university named after Brigham Young, who was the second president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Not only is BYU a Mormon university, but BYU is owned by the LDS Church. In fact, listen to BYU's mission statement that's found on their website. The mission of Brigham Young University, founded, supported, and guided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is to assist individuals in their quest for perfection and eternal life. So from their own mission statement, we see that BYU was founded by the LDS Church and is supported and guided by them too. Not only is Brigham Young University a Mormon university, but BYU is the LDS Church's main university. And these men that I've been quoting were professors of history and religious studies at the main university of the LDS Church. These men were not out to attack the church. However, they found that these truths could not be hidden and must be addressed as actually being part of the Mormon Church's history. In fact, in his research, Dr. Quinn documented many examples of occult practices of the Smith family and other members of the early Mormon Church. He wrote that from the founding prophet's mother onward, Mormon women practiced palmistry, card divination, and tea leaf reading. So far in this episode, we've looked at the occult practices of Joseph's parents, as well as their involvement in money digging. And we've also seen that they had a very poor view of the church, thinking that the church was corrupt. Having this understanding, we should ask ourselves if these demonic practices, involvement in treasure hunting, as well as their low view of the Christian church, did these things affect Joseph Smith's upbringing? Well, in order to answer this question, let's look at what Joseph Smith was like before he established the Mormon church. Was he himself involved in these same practices? I do want to note that many people come out of horrible families and are good people, not reflecting the lack of moral character of their parents or guardians. So can the same thing be said of Joseph Smith Jr.? Well, according to his dad, Joseph Smith Sr., Joseph Jr. 
was involved in these same practices. For example, Dr. Walter Martin points out that in an interview with the Historical Magazine of May 1870, Joseph Smith Sr. makes it clear that Joseph Smith Jr. had been a peak stone enthusiast and treasure digger in his youth, and further, that he had also told fortunes and located lost objects by means of a peak stone and alleged supernatural powers therein. In this interview that I just quoted, Joseph's dad just said that Joseph Smith Jr. would use peak stones to locate buried treasure. Dr. Quinn referenced sources who specified that Joseph Smith Jr. obtained his first seer stone in September 1819. What's interesting about this date is that this was a year before he received his first revelation which happened in the spring of 1820, and four years before he was visited by the angel Moroni in 1823 and told about the two seer stones that he would use to interpret the golden plates into the Book of Mormon. My point here is that long before Joseph Smith claimed to have been visited by any heavenly beings, his dad was claiming the same thing. Not only that, but long before Joseph Smith claimed to have been visited by the angel Moroni and told about the seer stones that would be used for translating the Golden Book into the Book of Mormon, he had been using his seer stone as an attempt to search for buried treasure. So before I go on, let me address what these stones were. Regarding what peak or peep stones were and how they were used, Michael Quinn wrote, BYU religion professor Donald Q. Cannon has also written about so-called peep stones, which were stones used in much the same fashion as a fortune teller's crystal. Peak stones were used in witchcraft and other occult practices for the purpose of divination, prophecy, and empowerment. These practices were illegal. In fact, as a result of Joseph Smith's involvement in the occult and his use of peak stones, he was arrested in 1826. Joseph's arrest has often been a topic of debate, in which the Mormon Church has denied such claims. However, court records were discovered verifying not only Joseph's arrest, but that he was arrested for being a seer. Years ago, when I was doing research on Mormonism, I heard about these court records, and so I contacted the Shenango County Courthouse regarding these records. In response, I received court records from the Shenango County Historian's Office that verifies that Joseph Smith was charged with a misdemeanor for this crime. What's interesting is that the Book of Mormon was published four years later in 1830 more than likely using the same stone which had been used for divination. A person that knew Joseph Smith in the Smith family was Reverend John Clark. He wrote about the Smith family in his book, Gleanings by the Way, originally published in 1842. He wrote, They lived a sort of vagrant life. 
and were principally known as money diggers. Joe, from a boy, appeared dull and utterly destitute of genius, but his father claimed for him a sort of second sight, a power to look into the depths of the earth and discover where its precious treasures were hid. Consequently, long before the idea of a golden Bible entered their minds and their excursions for money digging, which I believe usually occurred in the night, that they might conceal from others the knowledge of the place where they struck upon treasures. Joe used to be usually their guide, putting into a hat a peculiar stone he had through which he looked to decide where they should begin to dig. It wasn't just Judge Woodward and Reverend Clark saying these things about Joseph and his family. For example, in her book, History of Susquehanna County, Pennsylvania, written in 1873, historian Emily Blackman includes a quote from Isaac Hale, which, if you're unfamiliar with Mormon history, Isaac Hale was Joseph Smith's father-in-law. Listen to what Joseph Smith Jr.'s father-in-law, Isaac Hale, said about Joseph Smith Jr. I first became acquainted with Joseph Smith Jr. in November 1825. He was, at the time, in the employ of a set of men who were called money diggers. And his occupation was that of seeing or pretending to see, by means of a stone placed in his hat, and his hat closed over his face. In this way, he pretended to discover minerals and hidden treasure. His appearance, at the time, was that of a careless young man, not very well educated, and very saucy and insolent to his father. Smith and his father with several other money diggers, boarded at my house while they were employed in digging. After these occurrences, young Smith made several visits at my house and at length asked my consent to his marrying my daughter Emma. This I refused and gave my reasons for so doing, some of which were that he was a stranger and followed a business that I could not approve. He then left the place. Not long after this, he returned, and while I was absent from home, carried off my daughter into the state of New York, where they were married, February 1826, without my approbation or consent. It's clear from historical records that Joseph Smith Jr. and his family were known by people who knew them well for being disreputable, dishonest, and deceitful. In fact, in his book Mormonism Unveiled, published in 1834, Eber Howe included numerous letters and statements from people who were very well acquainted with the Smith family. An important letter that Howe includes is a letter that was put together and signed by 62 people who knew the Smith family well. Listen to what these residents said about Joseph Smith and the Smith family. We, the undersigned, have been acquainted with the Smith family 
for a number of years while they resided near this place, and we have no hesitation in saying that we consider them destitute of that moral character which ought to entitle them to the confidence of any community. They were particularly famous for visionary projects, spent much of their time in diggings for money, which they pretended was hid in the earth. And to this day, large excavations may be seen in the earth, not far from their residence, where they used to spend their time in digging for hidden treasures. Joseph Smith Sr. and his son Joseph were in particular considered entirely destitute of moral character and addicted to vicious habits. As I bring this episode to a close, let me recap on what I've talked about. Throughout this episode, we've looked at the Smith family's occult practices and involvement in witchcraft, along with their involvement in searching for buried treasure. I've also talked about their family's low view of the Christian church. I pointed out that Joseph's dad claimed to have had visits and revelations from heavenly beings before Joseph Smith Jr. did. I also addressed that witnesses claimed that Joseph Smith Jr. had a seer stone and was using it long before he was supposedly visited by the angel Moroni. And lastly, I shared several accounts of what neighbors and people who knew the Smiths said about them and their character. From these accounts, it was clear that Joseph Smith Jr., as well as his family, were seen as being disreputable, dishonest, and deceitful. The next thing I want to talk about in this series on Mormonism is how Mormonism started, which we will have to do in our next episode. That's all the time that we have for today. Come back next time as we look at how the Mormon Church started, the Book of Mormon, as well as different prophecies that were made by Joseph Smith. God bless.